Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. The Yes Collective is an emotional health studio run by the best therapists and psychologists around. Our team focuses on cutting edge approaches like internal family systems, somatic therapies, authentic relating, and trauma-informed experiential group practices. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook to learn more. I'm Justin Wilford, PhD, Director of Content and co-founder of Yes Collective. And each week I join my host, Jenny Walters, licensed therapist and co-CEO of Yes Collective to bring you the most amazing cutting edge therapists, psychologists, coaches, and other leaders in emotional health. Thanks so much for joining us and be sure to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll start by introducing uh, this podcast. We don't have any other outside guests. We are just bringing you me, Justin Wilford, and my co-host, Jenny Walters. Uh, it's just us this week. And I think it's actually pretty special because most weeks we have on a guest and we focus all of our attention on the guests. And this week we get to focus our attention on ourselves. And that's right. We get to, yeah, yes, <laughs> we get to talk about us. <laughs> we can make it if we try. That's right. It's like OG. It's like our OG convos we used to have in the OC. Remember where I just come over and, and you guys would feed me and you and I would just and get just, in these just long rap. conversations. Yeah. So here we are. And just, just, um, just go deep. Yes. How, yes. how are you today, Justin? What are you noticing? <sighs> well, uh, in this moment, uh, well, right before we came on, I was noticing that I was a little, little tired. Um, I was noticing that I, have been working not not all day long. Uh, we are recording this on a Sunday, and uh, I don't take days off. Like I, that's a whole nother thing. But um, I was able to get out today with the kids, the dogs, go to the park, have fun. Um, but I still fit in a lot of work. And what I was feeling before we got on was, what would it be like if I were to take a full day off? Like, what would that be like? And I felt a lot of resistance around that. Um, mm. So, 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 so then I was like, well, I'm feeling tired. Am, uh, am I going to be able to like give my best for this podcast? But then once you came on, I was like, oh man, I'm like ready to go. So ready to go. That's... <laughs> I smell, I smell a cycle breaking uh, opportunity. And just <laughs> Ooh, um, you know what we are going to, sh- oh, I, me too, <laughs> me too. But I think there's going to be like a little twist in, in, in that. Um, Jenny, uh, so I, I don't want to speak for you, but I can't in all authenticity just ask you how you're doing because you shared a little bit about how you're doing before you got on. You have been awake for a long time. You started this day in a whole different city than the city you are in right now. It's true. Yeah. I've been up since 2.30 a.m. LA time. It was 4.30 a.m. Kansas City time to catch a flight. And I do feel a little crispy. It is starting to hit. At first, I was kind of, you know, when you're kind of high, you're so tired, you're just like wired. <laughs> I was feeling, yeah. I was like, I got yeah. this. I got a podcast in me. Um, I, I was I was starting to crash and I was starting to get a little worried about doing a podcast. And then now that I'm here with you, I feel the energy return. 
I will completely collapse after this. I'm pretty sure, but <laughs> yes, um, yes. that's fine. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a, I was saying, speaking of cycle breaking, um, I went back to Kansas city, which is where I grew up. So went back to the scene of the crime, <laughs> Justin. So no, and I mean, how perfect you know, it's it just is. How perfect yeah. it, it is because today we are talking about cycle breaking. We are introducing yep. the topic for Yes Collective for March, which is cycle breaking. Um, we have a whole intro on it in the app, but what we want to do today is talk about what cycle breaking means for us. Okay, there are, we talk about what cycle breaking means in various ways and all different tools and approaches in the app. But today, we're just going to focus on us. It's really appropriate that you began today in Kansas City, the, the, the scene of where the cycle started for you. Yep. My, yes, it is true. My, my, my cycle on this, this lifetime on this planet began in Kansas City, Missouri for many years. Yeah, there's, a, there's also a cycle of me in my, in my 20s returning there when I was um, crashing and burning in life. So I would go back there because why not? Why not go back <laughs> to where it all began to try yeah. to reset? But that's a story for another day, Justin. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is it though? Let's, let's, well, maybe let's not. see. Maybe it'll come back. So I think to set the stage for today, I just first want to explore what cycle breaking means to you, what cycle breaking means to me. And then we can maybe flesh out a couple of okay. threads from there. My Christmas wish is that you go first. Yes. Yes. All right. So <laughs> take, the, take the lead on the, on the first question. Yeah. So uh, what cycle breaking means to me is I think about generational cycles. So something that has occurred from one generation to the next, and it is just continuing to get passed down generation after generation. And then finally, one in one generation, somebody wakes up and is like, wait a second, I don't want this. I, this does not align with my deepest values or with what I want to see in the world or with what I want my kids to experience or what I want anybody to experience. And so I want to stop whatever cycle has been perpetuated. It ends here with me. That is my understanding of cycle breaking generally. I will throw in just a little curve. I think there can be these interesting cycles that go back and forth. So things that like where if one in one generation, a parent was very strict and in another generation, the parent was very laxed. And then the child is like, wait, I need some more structure. And so it's strict again. And then I, I, mm. so there could be different sorts of cycles that it, like it doesn't always have to look the same. Maybe there are reactions in each generation and they're like reacting off of each other. I, I mm -hmm. don't know. That's, that's, that's one thing that I'm going to bring up for myself as we get into this. No, I think that's true. Um, yeah. So generational cycles. Absolutely. I also think about two other ones, uh, the cycles within relationships. So say in a marriage, I often think about kind of I remember when Tina and I first got married, we sort of kept having the same argument over and over, you know, sort of in different iterations, but at the heart of it was the same argument, which is not uncommon for couples. But, uh, and we had to, we had to break that cycle. We had to sort of like get, get to the heart of it and, and find a different way to understand it and communicate to break that cycle. And I'm sure that cycle went 
you know, was connected to generational, but when you're in it with the person, it's, you get quite myopic. It just feels like it's just about you two. Um, and then I think, I think about the personal cycles that again, I'm sure equate to the inner, to the generational, but maybe that's not quite how you think of it when you're first encountering in them in yourselves. Cause a lot of them, they're unconscious. I mean, for most of us and until they become conscious. And then I feel like they become sort of meta conscious. Then, you know what I mean? Like you start to realize, wow, I feel like crap. What am I, what, what is my part in that? Oh, interesting. I do this thing. Oh, that's, that's a pattern. That's a cycle. Oh, you know, mom and dad did that thing. You know, you kind of like bring it the, the, the view wider and wider, but I will say personally, and also working with uh, clients, it often starts out very just me, you know, you're just in it and you can't really have that, that bigger view. So that would be how I sort of think of it, conceptualize it. I like the word patterns. Yeah. That, that helps too. pattern breaking. Yeah. Yeah. Because with me cycle, it, it for some reason it indicates something simpler and patterns can be more complex as well. All right. So you've highlighted two, two other ways to think about this. So then just to catch the listener up. We've got your generational cycles. We've got your relational cycles. And then we've got your individual personal cycles, or you can substitute the word patterns in there. Mm -hmm. Well, well, now I want to ask Jenny, which of these three right now in your life is most alive for you? Mm. Most relevant in your life out, out of these three? I'd say generational. Yeah, as I think about it, I would say I as I'm, you know, spending a lot of time with my mom right now, who I've ta I've talked about before on the podcast that, you know, she's she's in her 90s, she's in this this last phase of her life. There was a, there's been some health declines and so it just brings you into a new phase of a relationship with a parent. For me, I'm noticing I don't think that's uncommon and I'm understanding her in new ways. I have a lot more compassion for the way we related in the past. You know, I, I'm, I'm seeing sort of where, where it originated in her and I'm curious about where it originated in her family, you know, so I'm thinking more about that and thinking about the ways she and I have both struggled with similar things, even though we always, I always felt like we were so different. Um, and then I'm also noticing there's some patterns in my family and around around communication or lack thereof and a real <clears throat> fear of vulnerability there's a pattern playing out um in my family right now that i realized is the exact same pattern that played out with my dad um in his family and i just hit me like a lightning bolt of oh yeah when dad's mom was really old and near death there was there was conflict among the siblings and now that's happening in my family and the way different those of us are handling it differently that hit me like a lightning. I was just like, oh my God, we're, this is absolutely being repeated and I don't want to repeat this. And, but I'm only kind of one part of it because there's four siblings. So that's right. You know, you can't, can you break a cycle if no one else wants to break the cycle? Oh, which Ooh, makes me, yeah. what makes me think of on the way here, Justin, I was like, oh, I want to, I want to share this with you and, and not to digress too much, but I was, you know, when you break a cycle in the family, if you're, especially if you're, if you're the only one that's really, you know, thinking about these things and it's very lonely, it's lonely to break yeah. a family cycle yes. and yes. you're the oh my only God. one doing it. Yes. Oh, 
Yes. So that resonates quite a lot. Yeah, I would say the thing that comes to mind for me is an un like I think an unacknowledged loneliness around that. I I have when you say it, it's like yeah, I like I'm the only one in my immediate family and extend and and for the most part like ex- close kind of extended family cousins and except for a few cousins who live I who I don't know particularly well and who live far away but everybody else like conservative republican christian is like they're they that's that's the cycle that has yeah. you know been been here and I'm the only one I'm like the only one and and it's been like that for a long time for a very very long time since i you know since late teens well i'm curious are you you name these sort of like persona right like christian and i mean i know that affects um but that that to me is very much like how they present fundamentalists yeah 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 Mm -hmm. but i was wondering are you kind of the lone seeker like the lone yeah the lone one that's curious about like emotional authenticity and intimacy and all that stuff. Yes. And I, you know, in the past couple of years, I've, you know, in conversation, put out some feelers and there's been some interest. And what I've found is amongst my immediate and extended family, that there will be interest in this kind of emotional health seeking type of, you know, what's out there beyond the world they were given uh, when crises hit. And so if it's like a cancer diagnosis, if it's a big, you know, disruption in a relationship or a big, just a big thing happening. And then people are like, Oh, tell me about, okay. Yeah. I'm really interested. I w- okay. I like want to know more. And then once the crisis passes, it's just like, whoop, and then it goes back. It's like, it clicks right yeah. back. It's like, Oh no. um, Maybe I'll get back to that some other time. And yeah. <laughs> it was like, ooh, the window, like the window was there for, for, for us to break a cycle, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and it's no longer there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of how it goes in my family too. Although I will say I've always been like the quote unquote emotional one and the, the sensitive one, even though I come from a family of highly sensitive people. And I know this because I made everybody take the quiz and I was like, everyone except for one person is off the charts HSP. And I'm like, well, this explains a lot, but a lot. when you're not, yeah. But when you're not in, when you don't know that about yourself and you're highly sensitive, what happens is you just are in a state of chronic over arousal all the time and overwhelm. And then you can be very, very cranky. That's another episode, but all this to say, so I've always been like the emotive one and the emotional one. I, I was at like begging to go to therapy in high school and that was shut down. So there was, wow. it sort of <laughs> you felt were like begging to go to therapy. Oh yeah. No, I, <laughs> I wanted to like process and talk and like make sense. I've always been interested in like this interior experience. So I was always the weirdo in the family because of this. And I kind of felt like, you know, what's interesting is in a crisis though, who's the weirdo everybody calls and, you know, is like, mm, Oh, especially yeah. now that I've legitimized it as a therapist. Now that I have a license behind it, it's like, you, can, <laughs> totally. you know, you can't see me, but I'm totally. rolling my eyes. Well, you can't see me, but the listeners can't. <laughs> but, um, and I'm just like, wow. 
really? You know, <laughs> like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get to yeah, the, yeah. when you get to the end of the rope and you know that you have to deal with emotions. Oh yeah. Who are you going to call? But then as soon as it's back to normal, it's the first thing to, yeah. to be abandoned really. And then it yep. clicks back. And what I'm noticing now is just in this moment is that I have a part that mm has just crowded out any sense of loneliness and it's this part that is definitely it's either the seeker part or very close to it and it's like no no, no. i've worked really hard to try to figure out a better way like i've worked really hard read the books went to tons of school um you know talked with a bunch of people did a lot of traveling you know um did a lot of drugs when I was young, right? So I've, I've, I've done, you know, I've like, I've explored enough. You've so come there's this, this every part, way, every which way. And so there's this part that's like, no, 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 I'm right. They're all wrong. And I don't like, it's their loss. And, you know, I'm, I'm here if they want to, they want a way out. And so this part is like very, yeah, just kind of like chest out and, and so won't allow any sort of loneliness. But when you, when you bring this up, it's like, Oh man, I would really, I would really like some familial <laughs> compatriots. Listen, I, yeah, I, I know about the part you're describing and I apps I have parts that very much protect me from the loneliness. But I have to say recently, I'm feeling it more and more in a very different and new way. And what I realize is it's grief. And I think I never allowed myself mm. to really grieve. I've had a lot of awareness around it. I've done a lot of therapy around this, lots. But I think what I was fighting against was grieving the loneliness of what it's felt like to be kind of, to feel like, and listen, maybe I'm not, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to speak for my family members. They may have secret, you know, uh, seeker deep dives they're doing as I don't, I mean, I don't know about, I don't know of it. Yeah. I it's grief. Grief is coming up and that is, you know, you know, we've, you've talked, we've talked a lot about grief and I know, you know, grief and it's just a, it's a very complex grief because it's not it's like at this point, no one's died. Well, my father's died, but you know, it's, it's not like it's a different kind of grief. It's like it's grieving gr something yeah. you never had, you know? Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. It's, oh yes. And that, the, yeah, that is, that is so true. When I hear that, I think, oh yeah, there's like, if I let my, it's, it's almost like I need to let myself go there because I think I had a lot to process in my late teens and early twenties around mm -hmm. not being raised in the family that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I was very aware of it at that time. Like I was like, you know, I, I should have been, a, you know, raised in a like East coast liberal, like a, like a liberal Jewish family on the East coast. Like that would have been, that would have fit for me. And um, it was about ignoring that grief like mm -hmm. uh, no 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 like uh, um you're not allowed to think about what you never ha had in, in mm -hmm. you know um and and so yeah, yeah I, I think uh, i think there's something there all right so how young or old were you when you first started to realize like okay i need to 
break cycles, break patterns, do so I I I need to figure out a different way. And the the stuff that has been that I grew up with is not working. Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so my earliest memory is around age eight. And I want to say that I used to have a lot of judgment about my parents' marriage. And uh, since my father's passed away, I was watching my mom grieve and I realized that their marriage, a large part of it was none of my business and that no one really knows what's inside a marriage except the two people that are inside the marriage. So, um, but at, when I was eight years old, I decided I did not want a marriage like theirs. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm just going to have a series of long-term lovers. And my friends always joke and say, were you wearing a smoking jacket and a fil- with a filtered <laughs> cigarette in your hands? <laughs> but I mean, I really specifically remember being like, nope, not going to, not going to do that. And marriage, it really scared me. And so that's kind of the earliest memory I have. And then, like I said, you know, as I grew older, I always really longed for, you know, to just kind of talk about how I was feeling. And it just wasn't, there just wasn't a lot of receptivity for that. So I think on some level, and maybe not totally conscious or something that I could articulate, I wanted to do that differently. I wanted to be able to have those kinds of conversations and it be okay. And then lastly, I would say in high school, I, I recognized, you know, that there was a lot of criticism in my family, a lot of putting each other down. And I, I didn't oh, want to, wow. I didn't want to do that either because it felt real, real bad. So how about you, Justin? I don't think I, that breaking cycles or doing anything different was, it was not even in my, it wasn't even a possibility until high school. I think until I started to smoke cannabis, which I I call it cannabis now because I have a part that feels that, that it, it just feels wrong for some reason to call it weed or marijuana. And I, I don't like, I'm not a big consumer of it. Maybe like once every blue moon now that it's legal in most parts of the U S but no, I, I, uh, I have a part that wants to call it cannabis, but in, in any case in high school, uh, at the beginning of my junior year, I started smoking cannabis. And I think by the end of my junior year, I had let go of the politics and the religion that I grew up with. And it was, it was like, it was it, oh, over the course of probably like eight or nine months. And it was like whoosh, gone. And, wow. and then I, it was kind of a hazy <laughs> uh, cannabis smoke filled uh, journey for the next year and a half or so. But once I emerged from that, it was like, oh, well, uh, I need to put this thing back together again. And so it was a very, um, so, but that's kind of like surface. Well, I don't think it's surface level, but it is more surface, deeper generational patterns. I don't think it, it just depends on the pattern. For example, the way I grew up with my body. I never saw anybody dance in my family. And I know I've talked mm. about this on, on the podcast, but I, I, like, I danced for the first time my senior year in high school after uh, consuming 
psychedelic mushrooms at uh, before a rave. And it was like, oh my gosh, there's something totally new and different here. And that really affected me. It was like, oh, I want, I, I want a different relationship with my body than, than, mm-hmm. um, so I remember that cycle breaking. Did you grow up with any music in the home? There was no dancing. Was there any music? My dad loved to sing. And so he, he would, he would sing, uh, um, but, uh, but no, they like, they didn't play a lot of music. I remember, and I mean, I have these memories of being in the car and my mom listening to like, uh, Tina Turner and, uh, Kenny Loggins perhaps, but <laughs> not, not, I mean, there was no love. Like it, it was not like they loved yeah, music. yeah. So no, I didn't, I did not grow up with a love for m- music. Um, and yeah. And, and then the other thing was talking openly about what's happening inside. <laughs> like, like this is not something, um, yeah. that I grew up with that I, knew i think in those years late teens early 20s that i wanted i didn't know how to do it and i think my entire adult life uh, well i think i got really interested in it then it fell away and then the last probably five or six years has been really coming back to that and deciding consciously oh i want a way more open authentic transparent internal world than in, yeah. in the way that I grew up. Yeah. It's interesting how it happens in, in phases and things. Jenny, what do you think about the idea that authenticity, like healthy authenticity is cycle breaking, like, like dysfunctional yeah. cycles yes. exist because of secrecy, because of avoidance, because of all these things that, that, that we're not looking at and don't want to talk about. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, and this is the thing we always came back, like in our last month, which was all about authentic, authentic relationships. You have to be you have to learn how to be authentic with yourself before you can be authentic with others. And th- I think I mean, I came from people who were in survival mode. I mean, I came yeah. from from agrarian farmers uh, who, you, you know, my me. mom and dad. You and me yeah, both. That's right. Um, that grew up in the depression. You know, I mean, they were literally yeah. in survival mode, in trauma. That's right. That's and right. so, yeah, they're not They're My dad was eating lard sandwiches. He, he wasn't talking about his feelings. You know, they were hunting <laughs> rabbits and stuff and trying to, like, not be killed in the dust bowl. I mean, it was in, it's, you know. I don't know if you've seen the yeah. Ken Burns Dust Bowl documentary, but it was no joke. And uh, yeah, so I don't have any blame or judgment around the lack of, totally. of authenticity, totally. but oh, I love that, yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. the role that trauma played. But absolutely, I think that authenticity is a huge cycle breaker. Yeah, I mean, my grandfather, uh, the, so they, his family, and I believe my grandmother's family as well from Nebraska and Kansas farmers leaving. Uh, so they were both kids during the depression. And then, uh, and then after world war two left, I mean, both grew up with al- alcoholic parents and, um, and had to leave to go to a totally new city in Tucson, Arizona and cobble together just a completely new life. And it's like, yeah, they, they, of course, <laughs> they did what they had to do. They did yeah. what they had to do. Yeah. yeah. 
But I love that. I think that that's such a succinct, you know, way toward cycle breaking is authenticity. I mean, you know, easier said than done at times, right? When you, especially when there's trauma to be processed and things like that, but what a, what a just hit the nail on the head there, Justin. I know um, with discussions with family members about this, uh, uh, when, when I say this, I mean, digging deep, uh, exploring our, our, our past, our inner world, doing this cycle breaking work. One thing I've heard before is, oh, well, that's, that's the past. Like, we're just going to move on. Like, there's nothing to be done about the past. And yeah, so I think what resonates for me about the authenticity is, that, oh, we just need to slow down for a minute and we can see that the past isn't past. Like it's, it's still. It's being replayed and reenacted. Yeah. And reverberated. Yeah. 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 And that, yeah. And that honesty, like internal honesty and then honesty with other people is a way to see that. When you're encountering your, 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 your coaching clients, what, what are you noticing are the hardest cycles to break? I don't know if this is a cycle or not, because I don't know about their, uh, you know. So the interesting thing about the work that I do as an emotional health coach uh, that does internal family systems based work is I don't know a whole ton about the history of my clients because I don't need to. It's, it's, I mean, it's very present based. It's very like, you know, we'll get to know each other just to build some some safety and some trust, but mm-hmm. then it's like, let's just go inside and see what's here. So I don't know how much, I mean, I know definitely a lot of, you know, childhood stuff comes up, but it's not really clear, like generationally what, you know, what was specific to this generation of the past. But one thing that I see in so many clients and myself as well is how trapped we are, or at least we begin when we do this work in our in, in our heads, and how disconnected mm-hmm. we are from our bodies. And I'm mm-hmm. curious, uh, how, how much is this a generational cycle? I imagine that at some point in time, our ancestors somewhere were connected with their bodies. I don't think that this is just how people are. <laughs> I think this is a product of living in modern, yeah. you know, societies. But I, I have a hunch that this has been going on for, for some time. Well, that's what they say in like somatic experiencing and trauma work. They talk about how we've we've lost the ability to move through the natural processing of trauma the way like an animal can, you know, they always talk about how, you know, a zebra is being chased by a lion. And then once the lion's gone, the zebra like shivers and shakes and discharges and yawns and looks around and, and that's the discharging. And then they just go on with their day because they're, they're prey. And so if they were in a trauma response all the time, the way humans kind of get stuck in that, uh, they wouldn't be able to function, you know? So they say to the, the, the idea is that as humans, we have lost the ability, but I imagine you're right that at some point we, we had to have it to survive that, although yeah. that's not the same as static dancing, let's be real, you know, <laughs> that like learning how to, you know, no, but, but for me, ec- ec- uh, ecstatic dancing, uh, you know, holotropic breath work, these kind of intense embodied experiences are, the modern 
it's like the modern medicine, you, you know, that mm-hmm. like, oh, right, yeah. this is, this is not, this is not how we evolved, but this is the strange world we live in now. And so we need these strange practices to yeah. help us get back into our oh. bodies. That's, that's kind Justin, of Justin, tell everyone about what you and I were doing right before we hit record, because I told you I felt oh. <laughs> crispy and, and a wee bit anxious given the week that I, that I'm coming off of. And you said, yeah. So, okay. okay. So uh, speaking of breath work and I'm going to add this in here, but I want to weave this into our conversation because humans d- used to not have to do breath work and would breathe perfectly normally and, and exactly the way they should. But of course, now we need these intentional breathing techniques. So this is actually an interesting technique. It's called the physiological sigh. Uh, It's very simple, but if you do want to know more about it, you can look up Andrew Huberman and physiological sigh. When I say sigh, that is S-I-G-H. I do do think they need to rebrand this. We need a snazzier name, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. So the reason it's called this is because it is a natural uh, response and if your nervous system is relatively regulated, you can catch yourself doing this once or twice a day, maybe. But uh, the cool thing is that you can do this for a couple minutes straight and really calm your system down. And now this is science backed. He showed uh, that this is the most effective breathing technique compared with box breathing and a Wim Hof style breathing and mindful meditation. So compared to all of those, the physiological side is the best way to relax your nervous system. All it is, is a deep inhale. So it's a, and then at the top of that inhale, sip one more little in, inhale. So it's a, just to get that extra breath in. Like you're and taking then a, a second lo- shot of Flonase. Like it's the second <laughs> shot of Flonase. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like right at the top. Yeah. And then it is a long exhale through your mouth. Just let that long exhale go. Yes. Yeah. And so right. it is a just a. And so if you do that for what they had these research participants do is they did that for five minutes. Now that is a long time. They were doing it. And then they were doing the box breathing for five minutes. They were doing the Wim Hof style breathing for five minutes. And then they were also doing the mindful meditation, I think, for five minutes. And so comparing all all this, five minutes of the physiological sigh had a greater effect. So I imagine if you were to do it one minute, that would be uh, better than doing a lot of other things for one minute. Yeah. But one of the great things about that is, is that it is a natural physiological response. And I can imagine in our uh, prehistoric times that our ancient ancestors were breathing like this much more often throughout the day. Just a, you know, just a kind of reset of the nervous system. And now we no longer live in those environments. And so we need to be conscious about this and we need to work this stuff into our day. So this this is one way. Yeah. I love that. It's mm-hmm. it's like a breathing snack. It's very of all those <laughs> choices, it's like the easiest one, you know? And also no one can tell you're doing it. Whereas box breathing, it's like a little bit you can yeah. kind of tell yeah. something. Like, don't yeah, yeah. yeah. And you please don't count. talk to me. I'm trying to count to four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm digging that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, so uh, now this brings us to maybe to cycle breaking practices, but 
um, I now just had a thought pop into my brain. We didn't really talk about um, inter like or intrapersonal, so personal cycle breaking. And so I think this is really interesting because I definitely have cycles personally that I cannot relate clearly relate back to my family that I've just developed is some coping mechanisms or to use internal family systems language. There are parts that have just taken on these, these roles and have found that particular things work to protect me and defend. Mm -hmm. So these are in the, these are personal cycles. So Jenny, how, what do you want to say about maybe first just even becoming aware of these? Is I don't think they're particularly noticeable unless somebody points them out or you're you're doing work. I was thinking about what you, when you when when we were talking about what the hardest cycles to break are, and I was thinking the unconscious ones are the hardest to break because you're unconscious. <laughs> you don't to know them. about them. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah, and the ones that are sort of harmful to ourselves. It's tricky because I really I like to tread lightly. I really don't want to. You know, I, I feel like, especially today with the social media, mental, mental health and, and self-awareness can get really reductive and into these, like, you know, um, we can start to put a lot of pressure on ourselves as though there's something to perfect and there's some sort of like, mm. you know, goal. And that's, it gets a little tricky around cycle breaking because it, it, it can very easily slip Ooh, into that, yeah, yeah. you know? Oh, and okay. so, well, I have a part that feels very seen when you say that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, oh uh, yeah. Can you, can you tell me how to be perfect? Cause I yeah. want to be perfect. Yeah. I, yeah, I, that I know. I know. I know. I mean, and I see it a lot. Um, I do it myself. I don't do it so much. I used to do it a lot where I would sort of like beat myself up for beating myself up. That's a good one. You know? Mm, so it's like, mm. I see the cycle of beating myself up. So now I'm going to shame myself for the cycle. And it's like, well, Ooh. I don't think that's really Ooh. helping. So it was kind of a double whammy. But uh, so what were we talking about? Well, the hardest ones are the unconscious ones. And then you're asking, how do we, how do we start? How do we even notice them? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think I'm going to go back to something brilliant a friend of mine said, which was you a few seconds ago about authenticity. So getting in tune with authentic self and what's really going on beneath the reaction or the anxiety, like what what is going on? What are the parts? There's such wisdom when we start to connect to the different parts and what they're feeling. And then if you can feel that self energy, you can very quickly see what's not in alignment, mm, but then it's like just heading toward alignment. it. Yeah. But I'll, can, I'll give a personal example, which I hope I'm not repeating myself. I was doing some IFS work with my therapist and I have a cycle of, um, a cycle that I really beat myself up with, which is I am a very creative person. There is an, uh, there is a very vibrant artist inside of me. I mean, I went and got an MFA, you know, like I yeah, you very much in are, me. Yeah, you are an artist for sure. Well, thank you. Um, I have a part that says I'm an imposter, but that's for my therapist anyway. So, <laughs> uh, so, but I very much struggle to set time aside from work to indulge my creativity. And I mean, just play and, and I really have a lot of frustration around this. I mean, I, Justin, I've had like astrology readings, terror. I'm like, what is the problem? What is it? I want to do this thing so badly. And yet I 
sabotage it and I don't do it and then I feel bad, what is the flipping problem? And so we were, we've been doing a lot of work around this, but I discovered one piece by going inward toward the parts. I have this little five-year-old part that shows up a lot. A lot of things changed in my life at that age. And she was very creative. I mean, really creative, just constantly making things. And I had a book called Make and Do, literally. That was my favorite book. And I was, I mean, just, just make sculptures and giant life-size paper dolls and paintings and all these things. And I went toward her and I was asking her with curiosity, like, tell me what you need. Anyway, long story short, what I realized is that what went along with all that creativity was a loneliness. I was alone. Wow. I mean, there were no, there were no adults around and I was all by myself and it was a way of coping, but it was married to something that felt not so great. Like I didn't have any grownups that I felt like were, Hey, what are you doing? And Oh, show me that. And you know, that kind of thing. Wow. Uh, my parents were busy with other things. And so, so I, it was this aha moment of like, oh, I have a really good reason for this cycle. You know, like there's pain attached to this and there's a fear of being alone. What I love is that you highlight, I think, something really important. I don't know that we've articulated it that clearly, but cycles have reasons. Like they, they're, there like yes. there's some there's something there's something protective defensive adaptive yes. in some way about these or they wouldn't be here absolutely and that's why i want to make sure we don't go down the like pathologizing route of like that's a cycle and you need to break it because maybe maybe not you know and i understand that i want to break the cycle i want to be in my creative life more fully and i want to show up for myself but the first place I needed to start was to be clear about why there is confusion there and why there is that cycle. And it's like, yeah, I really want this thing. And also there's something really scary there. I don't want to be, I don't want to feel lonely. And so, you know, I'm, and I'm still kind of working through it and there's a lot of parts associated with this. So that's just one piece of it. Um, but I do feel the cycle shifting and changing. Does it look how I want it to look? No, but is it shifting? Yes, it's definitely morphing and changing. So I know I'm working it, I'm working with it, you know, and that's, so I think that's important. And that's why I'm glad we didn't do like a, a new year's, like a new year's show about like resolutions and, you know, that kind of like instant (laughs) change. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't work that way. Um, so it all starts again with curiosity, right? And compassion. And that's why I love internal family systems. It's like you might come in with a desire for a particular change, but let's find out who inside wants wants that change. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that happens a lot too with you know doing EM. You know, I do EMDR trauma therapy, and I have clients who come in and they want to do it, and there's parts that don't want to do it. Yeah. They want to break yeah. the cycle. They see the cycle. They see the the effect that the trauma that's still living in their bodies is having on their life, keeping them in a state of fear. But then there's this part that doesn't. And it's so confusing and it's so easy to beat yourself up. But when we go toward those parts, I understand they have really good reason why they don't want to go toward trauma, you know, oh, with yeah. some lady in an office who's, you know, moving her fingers yeah. back and forth in front of their eyes. So we talk to them and then we get their permission. And once all the parts are on board, we can move forward with the trauma work. It makes a big difference. 
Totally, totally. And just one more plug for internal family systems. I mean, essentially, you know, you can guarantee on these podcasts that I'm going to plug for either authentic relating or internal family systems, at least a few times. What I experienced, so this goes back to the question of how do we recognize a pattern that we're unconscious of? Mm -hmm. I was in an IFS training last week and we were doing this, uh, we, we were working with firefighter parts. Okay, we were working with protector parts. And um, we were in these breakout rooms. And so we, we were like in triads and we were uh, taking turns being the client and the therapist and uh, the observer. What was really cool is one of the things that we were prompts that we were given as the therapist to ask the protector part. Well, so we were asking the protector part, what are your, what's, what's your job? What do you like about your job? What don't you like about your job? That was a good one. But then the Mm -hmm. one that I had not heard before, and it was such a revelation is how do people respond to you when you're doing your job? And that was like an aha. It was like, and I swear for me and for the other two, when that question landed and we were blended, because I think we did this through, if I remember correctly, we did it through direct access, which is when you blend with a part. So we're just like blended with this part and we're just talking through this part. And it was like, oh yeah, people don't don't like it like that. Or yeah, my family doesn't like it when I do da 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 da. And it was just like, a, oh, I'm now seeing that this thing that I really didn't think was a big deal to them, it was a big deal. And this part knew that. <laughs> and wow. so it was really, really cool to see. So I guess this is just a plug to uh, go visit your local uh, IFS <laughs> therapist. <laughs> right. Well, and for those that don't have access to that, like, I mean, the no bad parts book is a great start, but, but, but yeah. it's just that inquiry of, um, when you're in a reactive place and you you don't like the way you're reacting, like you know on some level, I don't want to react this way, but I am reacting and I don't feel like I have any control. That's what blending feels like, BT dubs for folks who don't know what blending is. Like, you know, like, and then yeah, to 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 see if you can access that part and and, and ask it that question of like, how are people what happy? Yeah, what How do, do people, people think react about to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. So, but the and the interesting thing for me. So I'll just I'll say I, I it it was a firefighter part that we were blending with firefighter parts for the listener. I'll be really fast. They're parts that want to jump in after we've been triggered or we're you know we're upset. We're just off, and the firefighter part comes in to put out the flames of emotion just to calm us down get us back feeling okay again. And so this can be done in a bunch of different ways. You know, for some people it will be alcohol and drugs for other people. It'll be work or, you know, scrolling social media. Mine likes to send emails too soon. It likes to fire <laughs> off an email. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that makes total sense to me. <laughs> that, that, that makes so much sense to me. Um, but the part that I was, was, was when I was like, oh yeah, you know, the part that's really coming up right now is this part likes to clean. So when I'm feeling oh. like upset or, or anxiety, it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll so my office is upstairs. I'll go downstairs and I'll just like notice in the corner, like a little dust bunny or something. I'll have to get the hand back and like, like, 
zip it up and I'll, and and then but it doesn't stop there i'll i'll then be like i'll walk by my daughter's room you need to clean your room uh max your laundry and then i'll just i'll start so i don't think that's a big deal if you were talking to me right now i'd be like no no, no. like sh- her room had to be cleaned or max's laundry had to be done the dust bunny was there and now it's not this part is awesome cleaning is great um but then in this practice to just have that question of like, yeah. how do people respond to you? It's like, oh, people don't, <laughs> people don't like. Well, me. yeah, or, I bet it <laughs> feels a bit like a fire hose suddenly showing up and being like, clean your, you know, like that suddenness and, and spraying you, everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just being like, yeah. what the hell, Dad? Yeah. Wow, that's okay, interesting. Okay, so, well, I will. So there's so just this one little question. Yeah. We will, as you continue on in your IFS training. It's fun to have you share these things and, and, uh, cause none of us, none, no one else can get in the training, Justin, <laughs> because they're so, <laughs> they're so hard to get into. So you'll have to, we'll have to live vicariously. I'm looking and I'm wondering if there are some, uh, generational heirlooms that you actually want to hold on to. We will, we will land this plane. We will land okay. the plane with this question. So I need to wind this up a little bit. Okay, gosh. Does it all go back to internal family systems? Yes. Yes, it does. So in internal family systems, which is where I got this this term that's used in this way, this generational heirlooms. In internal family systems, there's this idea of burdens. And so inside our parts carry burdens, which which we can think of as as wounds or these dysfunctional patterns, uh, dysfunctional or, or unhealthy beliefs. So we can call these things burdens. And sometimes in our system, we'll find that we have legacy burdens. And so these these might be generational burdens that have just been passed down. These beliefs, um, these ways of being, uh, ways of acting that are, that are just passed down uh, generation after generation. And um, these are actually, uh, at least according to uh, the IFS uh, orthodoxy, they're relatively easy to unload if they're just legacy burdens and they haven't become too attached to um, any part. And so maybe that's why for me, it was really easy when I was 17 years old. um, And I was like, yeah, I'm no longer a conservative Republican who is against same sex marriage and all I was just like, those are easy things to let go of. But there are also these generational heirlooms. And so there are things that have been passed down over the generations that are actually really wonderful and really beautiful that sometimes we can we can throw out because we're like, you know what, the way the old school did things was, you know, racist, misogynist, homophobic, you know, all the things. And it led to, you know, being uh, just a, a life of sadness and despair. And so I'm just throwing it all out. But in most situations, there's at least one or two generational heirlooms that have been passed down. And so I'm curious, Jenny, if any of these heirlooms come to mind for you. You have to give me an example because honestly, the first thing that came to mind was Rotel dip. I was like, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a recipe that's been passed down. I mean, at least since the fifties, because I don't know when so, Belvedere. Oh, okay, was born. so I will uh, but, I will give you an example. One one okay. thing that comes up for me that I know is at least that was just very important to my grandfather on my dad's side. It was just like this was. It was kind of obsessive. And it was very important to my dad as well. 
and it's important to me and it's not something it, it i mean on the one hand it makes sense on the other but like i do think it is this generational heirloom and that is doing what we say we're going to do like just 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 staying true to one's word and i feel it not inside i feel it not as a like well that's just a way to be a decent person or like no duh i mean it it feels to me more like this like generational way of being that has been passed down that since i've come to understand this idea of generational heirlooms i see it in a more spiritual way than mm-hmm. just like no it's just like a decent i mean everyone you know if you say you're going to do something you should do it yeah. But this feels bigger than that. And so that's an heirloom for me. Okay. Oh, that's helpful. As you say that, I can think about my father and his career. And he had a career that was very much in alignment with his values. And uh, so my father started the first organic farming magazine in the country And this was back in the 70s when pesticides were being heavily marketed to farmers and were all the rage. And my dad uh, grew up on a farm, came from a long line of farmers and was like, nope. And he knew the economics. He was also an economist. He knew it was not a good idea for our our health and for our future and for our children. So he um, worked in that field and in that world. And it was very much uh, his soul's purpose. As a, you know, having, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, working to live, having a job, and then your passion is outside of your job. That's totally fine. For him, it was the opposite, that the work really was the passion. And, um, and I, I, I am similar in that I think for me, it's really important that the, the, where I spend the majority of my time is really in alignment with my soul's purpose, which for me has something to do with the healing arts and this internal world and curiosity and and understanding that and that deepening that understanding and deepening connection all of that is just rich 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 for me it's really you know really it's it's also why i make art right these are the questions i want to try to answer when i am in my creative space as well so i i really am grateful for that uh lineage from my dad and also his entrepreneurial there's an entrepreneurialism i mean if you're a farmer you're an entrepreneur and I mean, that goes way back and I definitely have that and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And then also my dad loved to like bust out a poem out of nowhere. And I, I do feel that does, is somehow connected to my love of the great art of karaoke, of karaoke. Many, many generational heirlooms. Many heirlooms. Beautiful, so. beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I'm, so, I'm so glad that we ended on this because- it, it, you know there are there are plenty of cycles to break, but there are also some really beautiful things that yeah. that have been that have been passed down. Agreed. Yeah, awesome, Jenny. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I do want to just let the listeners know we have two amazing podcast guests coming up in March to talk about cycle breaking and all sorts of other stuff because they both do really amazing things. So the first guest is Tara Schuster. She is a best-selling author. Um, her, her new book is coming out, Glow in the Effing Dark, in case you have kids in the car. And it's going to be a wonderful wide range of conversation coming out next week. And then uh, later in March, we have Lauren Lovett, who is trained in somatic experiencing. And so we're going to talk about embodiment. We're going to talk about how you know, emotions and trauma 
live in the body and can be moved in the body and how generational patterns and cycles can be passed down in the body as well. So, well, and can yes. I can I say something brief about that? So, speaking of Lauren Lovett uh, is hosting a retreat. It will it will be uh, the sign up. I think will happen before we have her on. So, I just want to in the show notes maybe we could put a link to that retreat because it's a great um, it's an embodiment uh, embodiment Ooh. retreat for for creatives and artists or people who just want to connect with their creativity. And it's uh, uh, awesome. you'll get a yes. nice introduction to somatic experiencing and um, Lauren's work and cycle breaking is definitely a part. I'm going to do part parts work stuff there, and we're going to oh heck um, yeah, heck yeah. yeah. Okay, some of that, that so. is going to be awesome. That will be in the show notes. Awesome. All right. We will see you all next week with Tara Schuster. Can't wait. Bye. Bye. Hey, y'all. It's Jenny. And I realized I did a really uh, lame job of describing this retreat I'm a part of. So I wanted to give you a little bit more detail. So the Embodied Desert Retreat for Creative Women and Non-Binary Folks is near Joshua Tree. And it's going to be March 30th through April 2nd. We've got a few spots left. We also have some sliding scale options for folks who need a little financial assistance. It's going to be a really amazing lineup of different practitioners. Lauren Lovett, who's a somatic experiencing certified practitioner, is leading it. It's an opportunity to do what we talk about on this podcast a lot, which is get connected to your body, connecting mind and body in that embodiment experience. And I'm going to be leading some parts work exercises for people. So yeah, if you're interested, check it out in the show notes. Okay, have a good day. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.